Hey, Habibis, just want to let you all know that Habibti Please is part of the Harbinger Media Network. This network is super important to me and others because it's a progressive group of voices creating independent media that challenges predominant narratives that we see in right-wing and liberal media presently today. And so I want to recommend some shows uh, that are part of this network that I personally enjoy. So Rob Rousseau's 49th Parahel as well as Feel Rouge, which is an Indigenous storytelling series that featured stories from Indigenous communities in the far north of Quebec. Harbinger Media is listener-supported, so please head over to harbingermedianetwork.com and subscribe where you can get subscriber-specific content. So yeah, hope you all enjoy the show today. Today we have Nikki Ashton with us. She is a new Democratic member of Parliament, um, so NDP, for Federal Electoral District of Churchill, Kita, Wananook, Askin, Manitoba, which I hope she corrects me on the pronunciation. Um, and she was first elected in 2008 in a federal election and is a former candidate in the NDP leadership race. And Ryan and I are so grateful to have her here with us today. This is following an interview with Miriam Haddad and an interview with Leah Gazan. And we were so delighted that Nikki said yes to come on today. Yeah. So can you tell us how are you doing today, Nikki? I am great. It's uh, the weekend and uh, it's been a very busy week as we enter the second wave of COVID-19. Uh, real concern here in our region that is so vulnerable, you know, but we've managed to... Uh, elevate uh, a lot of the issues from our region, particularly from First Nations, uh, apply pressure on the federal government, and we'll keep doing it. But um, I'm thankful that, uh, you know, today, especially I'm, I'm having some time uh, to spend with uh, with my family, uh, my twins that are almost three. And, uh, you know, and it's, uh, it's, I think, so important to uh, to be able to carve out that time, especially when we are doing a lot of that work remotely, working from home, you know, uh, trying to find that time to, uh, to, to be with our loved ones. Thank you. So can you speak a bit about what first brought you into politics? Your age at the time of your first election was notable and the circumstances. And we would love to hear more about that first entry into politics that you had. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So first off, I mean, I would say I definitely grew up around politics. Uh, both my parents, uh, my dad was uh, uh, very involved uh, in the labor movement and then was elected provincially. Uh, my mom was a feminist activist and involved in, in uh, national feminist uh, activism. And uh, and I believed in it. I believed in uh, uh, I believed in their work. I believed in in uh, in their the values that they raised us with. Uh, but uh, like many young women, I. I, I didn't think it was for me, uh, certainly the elected politics uh, uh, route. And, um, you know, I was very interested in doing human rights work, social justice work, particularly at the international level. But fast forward to 2005, uh, the big debate gripping our country was the issue of gay marriage. And I, um, you know, I come from a part of the country here in northern Manitoba. Thompson is my home community uh, where our member of parliament at the time who was NDP uh, was the only NDP MP that came out and opposed it. Uh, you know, took a position against human rights, took a position against our party policy. Uh, and many of us on the ground that had helped her get elected, that had supported her, said that's not right. You know, this is uh, this is not a position that that we stand for, that we agree with. And we tried to get her to change her her position 
She didn't. And, uh, you know, thankfully, as a Democratic Party, we had the tools to be able to organize in the nomination process. Uh, now, at that time, I was keen to support somebody who was going to take a clear stance in support of gay marriage, uh, in support of human rights in our region, including uh, very much so Indigenous rights. And uh, it was a uh, a few older feminists that... Um, that I would say were, were major influences in my life that said, Nikki, we want you to consider running and we'll support you. Uh, and that really changed everything for me. Uh, it also made that, that, you know, my passion for human rights and social justice at the international level, uh, it really drove me to focus on, on my home, where I come from and to take a stand at a time where that was, where that was important. So in 2005, I decided well, along with our team, we, we'd, uh, we'd do this. Uh, we, uh, signed up a record number of people, many of whom had never uh, been engaged at that level before, uh, people who had voted NDP for generations, I guess, their parents, they had, but had never been asked to, uh, to, to, to take a, a stand and, and to, and to be engaged in that very essential democratic process, you know, the nomination process. It was a long nomination. It was not easy. Uh, it was, uh, uh, very divisive at times. Uh, but in the end, I would say the principles of our party prevailed. I was extremely honored to have won the nomination, uh, and, and to have won proudly standing up for a uh, queer rights, uh, for Indigenous rights, uh, against the inequality that, uh, that exists in our region and across the country. Uh, unfortunately, we wanted, we went on to lose the election in 2006. The vote was split. Actually, the, the former NDP MP uh, ran as an independent and uh, a liberal MP won a high profile liberal MP uh, uh, came up uh, through the middle, I guess, and, and, uh, and won at that time. Uh, losing was awful. It, it, uh, you know, it sucked. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and I, you know, at that time I was, uh, in, had just started my master's, um, you know, and I, I, uh, I didn't know that I wanted to do it again. Right. And, and, uh, it, uh, it, it was in, in discussions over time with our team, with friends here at home, uh, where we decided, you know, let's, let's do this for the same reasons that we'd done it before, standing up for what's right, standing up for our region, standing up against the injustice and inequality that is so, uh, pervasive here in, in our part of the country. And, uh, and that's how, uh, you know, we decided to go for it again. Um, you know, put my name forward in terms of the nomination. It was uncontested. And then, uh, and then in the 2000 election, the fall of 2008, I had the uh, incredible honor of, of, being elected uh, at that time. So when I first started all of this, yeah, I was 23 uh, and, uh, you know, was elected then in, in, uh, in 2008. So, so a bit, uh, you know, a bit after that, but, you know, but I would say that uh, it really, really comes down to, you know, there was a moment where we had to take a stand and, uh, you know, stand up for what we believed in. Uh, and I'm so proud that, you uh, uh, you know, given the grassroots work that we did uh, and uh, the way we were able to engage and mobilize, uh, that it was clear that our region stands for human rights. And, and we challenged people that play in places like Ottawa and, you know, the big cities were thinking, well, it's different up there. You know, it's rural, it's northern, it's this, it's that. And uh, and, and we made a very clear statement that, uh, uh, you know, no matter where you're from, no matter who you are, uh, you know, queer rights are human rights, indigenous rights are, are human rights. And, uh, you know, and let's go forward. Thank you so much for that. And I appreciate you uh, standing up for that and, and making what I imagine was a hard decision. Um, Ryan and I are in our 20s and we also always debate 
about electoral politics? Is it for us as activists or young people who care about these issues? And, and we have people who like tell us no, but then it seems like this is what we're working with. So it's inspiring to see people like you and Leah Gazan who have like these histories of fighting for certain rights and enter. And so I, I, I want to extend off that. And one thing we talk about or see a lot as young people is um, kind of people obscuring or obscuring the fact that the liberals are not that much different from the conservatives. And you've said a liberal or Tory, same old story, which beyond witty, I feel like is super true. Um, but much of the general public, I feel like at least the media doesn't really make the distinctions sometimes. And why do you think it's important to make those distinctions as progressives and left Canadians and push that the distinction matters? Yeah, absolutely. I um, definitely can't take credit for the phrase liberal Tory, same old story, but I, uh, I, I used it ever since I first ran. Uh, and, uh, it was, uh, very prominent in our leadership campaign, uh, because I think it's very critical for us to punch through, uh, exactly as you said, the narrative that's uh, often presented in the media, you know, it's the, the red door or the blue door, you know, and, and very much, uh, the, the portrayal of, of the liberals, including Justin Trudeau as progressive. I mean, they use those words, the media uses those words and, uh, you know, and, and, and we need to, challenge that uh, and uh, and make it clear that both the liberals and the conservatives has have a very clear track record and on a daily basis of representing uh, the rich and powerful in our country. And, uh, you know, and, and certainly on, on some issues, there may be some difference. Uh, but when it comes to economic issues, when it comes to environmental issues, when it comes to immigration issues in many ways, although, again, there are some differences there, uh, you know, it's uh, uh, it's the same old story uh, with different colors, you know, a bit of a different PR style strategy, uh, you know, different targeting. Uh, but, uh, you know, let's let's be real about the agenda that's being put forward, an agenda that serves to enrich those that are already wealthy uh, and, uh, you know, an agenda that that, um, uh, you know, and I would I would say it, it's particularly obviously, you know, it, important for us on the left uh, to to be critical of the liberals in, uh, you know, in the Justin Trudeau era, uh, you know, and right now we are in an interesting place because it is a minority. We have the opportunity to get results for Canadians. We have the opportunity to deliver uh, in a way that, uh, you know, in a majority we'd be we'd be more limited, uh, you know, and I'm proud of the work that we're doing. Uh, but uh, but let's be real. There is so much more that needs to be done that could be done if the liberals actually cared. Uh, right. And, and so, you know, we have a prime minister who talks about climate change and bought a pipeline with Canadians money. Uh, we have a, type, a prime minister who who's talked about uh, uh, expanding the middle class. And he's somebody who's actively, uh, you know, uh, avoided measures like a wealth tax uh, and uh, and other things to be able to really get at lifting up the middle class and lifting up those who are in poverty uh, and uh, uh, low income. Right. And And so, you know, let, let's uh, let's be real on uh, let's speak out about it. I mean, I would say a particularly a particular challenge is is uh, the the bias in our mainstream media. Uh, you know, Canada has some of the greatest media consolidation in the world. There's very few dissenting voices. Um, that's why, 
your podcast uh, and other progressive podcasts are so critical uh, so that we can have these conversations, uh, so that we can relate what's happening in different parts of the country, uh, so that we can build that solidarity around what the liberals are actually doing uh, and, uh, and, and you know, how they're not different from the conservatives in so many ways. Uh, because if you look at the mainstream media, it's, uh, it's really uh, troubling, inaccurate uh, and intentional, right, to, uh, to be able to say, well, you know, I mean, Trudeau, he's, uh, he's so great. I mean, the kind of pinkwashing we've seen, um, you know, the, the kind of uh, uh, the words they use to pretend as though they, they care about Indigenous uh, rights. It's, uh, um, uh, it's, it's brutal, uh, you know, and the way they play it up on the international stage, right? And, and uh, you know, for those of us that have family abroad, right, it's like, I mean, how many times have we had to have conversations about how Justin Trudeau is not actually progressive, right? And, and how it's not the greatest thing to have him as prime minister, right? Um, you know, but again, that in, in, in intentionality, right? That, that uh, uh, you know, he's uh, uh, courting favor on the international stage all while, uh, you know, continuing to fuel conflict in Yemen, uh, continuing to uh, uh, contribute to the oppression and repression of the Palestinian people, right? Uh, continuing to contribute to uh, the climate emergency that we're, that we're uh, facing. Right. So, um, so, you know, we have a lot of work to do. Uh, there's a lot against us, but I'm also very encouraged by how so many, particularly young people don't have time for what Justin Trudeau and what today's liberals are, are trying to deliver. I mean, remember when he was promoting how he was the youth minister and all you heard about was selfies, right. Uh, you know, he's, he's not that anymore. I mean, he has a beard, so it's different. Um, but, you know, he's he's moved away from that. And I think a big part of that is that that young people have made it very clear that they see through that that bullshit and uh, and that they they uh, they're not interested in faux progressivism uh, that, uh, you know, for us, the, the big challenges of our time require bold, progressive action. And that's not what we're getting from from the liberals. Uh, and that's what we should be very clear that we're willing to deliver as new Democrats. So I think we have work to do, uh, not just in terms of the NDP, but also as as uh, as progressives on the left that, uh, um, you know, that 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 believe that electoral politics, uh, uh, that the left in terms of electoral politics needs to do better. Great. Thank you for, for sharing all of that. And now I want to talk a little bit about provincial politics. So can you tell us a bit about your riding and take us into the larger political landscape of the prairies in Ontario, especially Southern Ontario? I think we assume the prairies are all conservative, but that's obviously not the case. And so we'd love to hear some, about some of the major issues in Manitoba and the prairies right now and what the political movement is like there. Mm -hmm. No, I appreciate that. It is uh, there is a distinctive uh, political culture and discussion here. Uh, first off, I'll, I'll start by saying, you know, I, for some time I've been the only NDP MP representing a rural riding in uh, in the prairies uh, in the last election for one election for one term um you know i was i was really excited to work with georgina jolibois who was the uh, ndp mp for northern saskatchewan and unfortunately we lost her in the last election uh and uh you know i i uh, here in our part of the 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 province of the country uh, there's no question that uh, um the, the one of the 
key reasons why we are supported is the work that we do uh, in in uh, in solidarity with Indigenous communities. Uh, and, uh, you know, in some parts of the country, um, you know, there there there's uh, perhaps less engagement. Uh, um, but but here in this part of the country, you know, there's incredible activists. Uh, I mean, I, I should also say more broadly in the prairies, I don't know more emerge from the prairies. Uh, and it's and it's by no accident, because I would say that, uh, you know, some of the the most overt uh, racism against indigenous people is here on the prairies, right? Some of the, uh, the, 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 uh, and, and more generally in Western Canada, some of the greatest conflict, right? With, uh, industry, with, with, uh, governments pushing to extract resources against the will of indigenous people is here in this part of the country, right? The, the West, I would say, including uh, BC as well. And so, you know, you you have these movements led by indigenous people, uh, mostly indigenous women, uh, who are uh, movements that are very dynamic, that are very grassroots, and that are very uh, just very tough, right? And so, uh, you know, it. it uh, I'm, I'm proud to work with many of these activists, especially here in in northern Manitoba. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and to be uh, unapologetic about being in solidarity with them and, uh, uh, and being very clear that the NDP needs to be in solidarity with them. Uh, and so, so that is sort of the unique, uh, side of things here. But I would say the, the, the political situation in, in the prairies is, is troubling, uh, these days. Um, you know, the, the rise of white supremacy, the white, the rise of neo fascism, uh, is, uh, is very much much evident here in this part of the country. Um, you know, earlier this summer, uh, a shooter um, showed up, uh, a terrorist showed up at Rideau Hall uh, with the uh, um, intention of shooting the prime minister and the governor general. He was from Manitoba. And, uh, you know, when I when I obviously heard about this, I was shocked, right? I, I, was, I was shocked. But when I started to read about uh, uh, about him, about where he comes from, you know, I, I, uh, I was less shocked and, uh, uh, I was deeply disturbed to find out that the radio host, uh, speaking of the media in his home community of Swan River, or I guess it's the big community in his area, the radio host there, the owner of the radio station, pardon me, not the radio host, the owner of the radio station set up a GoFundMe campaign for this guy's family. And I don't know if the site is still up, uh, but, uh, but this guy was on on social media saying, you know, we're not here to discuss the motives uh, or why he may or may not. You know, and it was this in unbelievable uh, um, uh, sort of uh, um, legitimization, I guess, in, in many ways of of, uh, of 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 what he of what he did, of who this person is, what he did, uh, the need to support his family in this difficult time. And it was like, are we for real? Like if this was uh, a young black man or a young indigenous man, you know, uh, or anybody uh, except for who this guy was, we would be having a very different conversation. This man would be had this radio owner would be having a very different conversation. But, you know, we are at a point where he felt this radio station owner felt it was okay to put a GoFundMe campaign together, uh, to, to say the kinds of things that he did. And, uh, you know, and I, I read some of the comments, it was shocking, right? You know, good for him. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, like just, uh, really, really, really shocking stuff. Now, of course, the other part of this is that this shooter, uh, was, uh, or 
the guy who intended uh, to uh, to shoot at the prime minister um, is is part of the uh, military, the Canadian Rangers. Right. So, again, that that military culture, uh, the rise of of uh, of fascism in, uh, you know, in white extremism uh, in our our uh, our military. Right. And, and uh, you know, thankfully, on that front, there has been some action given this situation. Uh, but it, there is a um, emergence of this kind of, of culture here in our part of the country. Uh, it's 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 scary. It's tied into, of course, misogyny as well, anti-Indigenous racism. And, uh, you know, and, and my message to folks, progressives in this part of the country, par- particularly uh, white progressives or, or people who, who are not Indigenous as well um, are uh, uh, and settlers, I guess, is, is uh, you know, we need to take this seriously. We need to expose it. We need to denounce it. Uh, and we need to support those who in these communities and on the ground uh, are pushing back against uh, these narratives. And, uh, you know, and, and you know, I, I don't like how sort of even at the national stage, well, it's like um, we, we're not taking the rise of fascism seriously in our own country. You know, we talk a lot about how awful Donald Trump is and how much of a fascist he is, which he is. But let's look at what's happening here in our own country. Right. Let's also denounce the, the, the rise of extremism. in, for example, the, the 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 recent conservative leadership. I mean, even the current uh, conservative uh, uh, leader, right, Aaron O'Toole, uh, took a hard right turn, I would say. I mean, I'm not fully familiar with his story of being an MP. I mean, I obviously he's part of Harper's cabinet and, and I've seen him in the House. But but the kind of stuff he was coming out with in the leadership, you know, ramping up sinophobia, ramping up xenophobia, uh, you know, and, and uh, the kinds of things we were hearing from from the other candidates during the leadership that fed into essentially the result that we have now. Uh, you know, let's look at our own country and let's take a hard stance against the rise of, uh, of fascism, of extremism and of white supremacy, uh, including very much so here in the prairies. Thank you so much. Uh, people can't see us, but we were nodding a lot, <laughs> Ryan and I. But uh, we have another provincial question for you that that works off of this, but zooms out of the prairies. But thank you for that context, because I think people in Ontario, Southern Ontario, do neglect that there there is a Canada beyond us, um, kind of self-centered sometimes in our politics. But um, sometimes we've seen as young progressives, like a provincial NDP has sometimes made decisions that are perhaps contradictory to what are determined to be socialist or progressive left values. And we we know these things. So we see it in moments like John Horgan's role in British Columbia, making a disingenuous effort to meet with Indigenous people uh, and the Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs. And in Alberta, we witnessed it provincially with the NDP government kind of agreeing and championing a pipeline project while climate justice activists across the country opposed this. And we understand the political advantages of having a pipeline as part of a platform for short term gain in a province like Alberta. However, when we see moments like this, it feels kind of contradictory to what um, a left uh, Labour Party like the NDP or a party with Labour origins has that's a progressive party. And so I guess the question we have is how do we build a larger left and inspire more millennials to join the party when we witness moments like this that are jarringly contradictory to the values exposed by the party on, say, social media or TikTok, and also contradictory to values we hold as young progressives who might be like apathetic and tired of electoral politics? Absolutely. I think this is a critical question. It's a burning question for a lot of uh, millennials, uh, younger than millennials, who are seeing that bold, uh, progressive ideas 
are the way forward, right? And, uh, you know, if, if we're going to get at, at uh, the climate emergency, we cannot be building pipelines, right? If, um, you know, if, if we're going to uh, tackle inequality in our, in our country, uh, we need to be very clear that we support uh, the the self-determination of Indigenous peoples. You know, if uh, um, if we're going to talk about, uh, um, you know, and I would say, you know, at the international stage, uh, if we're going to talk about uh, being uh, um, anti-racist, uh, we're 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 going to expose uh, the uh, uh, the continued the Canada's role in the continued oppression uh, and and repression of of of, Pal- of the Palestinian people. Right. Uh, Palestine. So, you know, it's um, I'm routinely (laughs) disappointed, frustrated by um, uh, by our failures to connect our principles to action, uh, but also uh, very much so to to the, the big challenges we're facing, like racial injustice, like climate change, like uh, growing inequality. Right. And, uh, you know, and, and I think one of the things that I've often said is, is for our generation, for, for younger people, I mean, how do we imagine a world where, uh, you know, where the climate emergencies are, are very much our daily reality? You know, how do we imagine a world where, uh, you know, where, where many of us won't have pensions to fall back on? Uh, you know, uh, where, where many of us are struggling to, to make those, investments in a home and a life and, and, and all of that, uh, because of, of the precarious economic situation, uh, that, that we're facing, you know, so, so that generational, I mean, there's the political side of it, right. That, you know, we're, we're, we're going up against our own principles, principles, including supporting the UN declaration on the rights of indigenous peoples, uh, you know, principles around, uh, you know, economic uh, or social, environmental and economic justice. And, but there's also the generational piece, like letting down a generation and generations of younger people, uh, who are saying this is our future. And, uh, you know, and, and, and you're making the wrong call here. Uh, and we don't want to support you because you're making the wrong call. Uh, or maybe we'll vote for you, but, but we won't be volunteer on your campaign. We won't really put a lot of energy into telling our friends to vote for you. You know, and these are the kinds of things that, that, you know, that I, I hear, I mean, and I see when, when we do stuff like that, when we see, uh, the NDP do things like that, whether it's provincial or at the federal level. I mean, here in, in Manitoba, uh, we were in government for many years and the provincial NDP, uh, government, governments, uh, did some very important work, uh, but also took some positions, particularly later on, uh, that were not in line with our principles. And one example of that is, was our support for Bill C-10. And, uh, that was the, uh, omnibus crime bill that Stephen Harper put forward. I mean, our own attorney general uh, from Manitoba went and defended that legislation in Ottawa. Uh, it was shocking. I mean, the federal NDP was opposed to it. I know, uh, you know, I know from from people that were involved in the Manitoba NDP government. Obviously, my my uh, my dad was there. Uh, that there was opposition, uh, but you know, they they went forward with it. Uh, you know, the the attorney general was a, a cheerleader for it, uh, and uh, and I'll tell you, it burned a lot of activists. I mean, uh, you know, it it uh, it certainly uh, contributed to the. Uh, uh, jail pipeline here in in uh, Manitoba particularly for indigenous uh, peoples indigenous men and uh you know but the end result politically was 
people were saying, I don't, I don't believe in that. Right. And they, and they weren't, um, you know, they, they, the, the, the activist base of our party in many cases disappeared. Right. And so, uh, you know, so it's, it's, uh, you know, this is what happens. Right. And, and, uh, and so I would say that, uh, it's really important that, um, that that we as as young people as millennials and and uh and younger folks as well uh push back and demand better from our uh NDP and left wing politicians and spokespeople that pressure matters it makes a difference uh, and it, it might not seem that way but uh you know I've heard conversations where it's like well we're hearing this right and and uh you know and I and I think a lot of people are also noticing what's happening in the south uh, to the south of us right in the US where you had the Bernie Sanders campaign that took on the Democratic establishment, fueled by young, bold uh, activists. And uh, and they were saying, we've had enough. And, uh, you know, and, and, and Bernie didn't win, obviously, in large part because of the way the establishment came after him. Uh, but uh, what's incredibly inspiring is that so many of the candidates that were involved in his campaign that he supported, that the movement built up are winning. Right. So, so I, I really see, um, you know, that, that as, as, uh, as the next sort of phase here in our own country, but it does demand sustained involvement um, while still being uh, not just true to our principles, but pushing back when 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 we see that others are, are uh, uh, you know, are, are uh, deviating or going against them. Uh, right. And, you know, I um, you know, for me, it was very important to speak out in solidarity with the Wet'suwet'en. Uh, it's been very important for me to speak out against uh, uh, new pipelines, the expansion of pipelines, including here in our own region where, you know, the same folks want to push a an oil pipeline through a uh, northern Manitoba, and uh, you know, so there are those of us who are who are speaking out. You know, I'm really proud to work with uh, Dynamo uh, women like Leah Gazan. You know, and and uh, there's other folks across uh, the country as well. But we need to, and I mean, we not not speaking in terms of of just my work, but also as 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 uh, as an activist, uh, as a millennial, right? We need to keep up that pressure. Uh, and not let up. Um, and, uh, you know, and I, I would say, you know, let's do it because it's the only way forward. Uh, but it also makes makes a difference. That leads really well into our next topic. So we want to go a bit broadly and talk about federal politics now. And so, you know, your leadership run was inspiring for many progressives, grounding the party in its socialist roots. And we saw a huge surge in membership at the time of the race. But from our perspective, that seems to have fizzled out. So can you speak a bit about what you learned during and after your leadership run? And can you touch on where you see the party now and how to rebuild it? So I'm really proud of the leadership run we ran in 2017. Actually, it was uh, just a couple of days ago to the day that uh, uh, the, the results came out. And even though we didn't win, I would say, and, and many have said, uh, we were uh, underestimated uh, and um, on, on, on many occasions, but we shifted the dial for, for all campaigns. Um, I mean, we were the clearest campaign on being against pipelines. We were the clearest campaigns on being for Palestinian rights. Uh, we were the clearest campaign on, uh, you know, being 
unabashedly uh, democratic socialist, including on on a critical issue that I think we've lost sight of public ownership. Uh, and, uh, you know, and I mean, it, it it energized people. It was incredibly empowering uh, to connect with activists across the country, to support activists across the country who were you know, we were all hungry for the NDP to finally get back to standing up for these issues or stand up for these issues, period. Right. And, and, uh, you know, we had uh, a lot of, a lot of young people sign up. There was a lot of people who had basically uh, given up on the NDP who signed up again. Uh, you know, there were people that never saw electoral politics as, as something they believed in that took a chance. And, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm really, I'm really proud that, uh, you know, we put these ideas forward and, and we forced other campaigns to take those positions throughout the campaign, uh, you know, and and because uh, that's, you know, I mean, winning would have been the best, obviously, uh, but ultimately it was about the ideas. It was about taking the stand and it was about the solidarity with grassroots movements that were pushing very much for these these issues and that are continuing to do so, uh, you know, and, and I think that is that needs to be the way forward for the NDP. Uh, you know, we we, um, uh, you know, especially now we're in a minority. We have to be very careful that we don't get gobbled up by the liberals, you know, who can just say, well, look, they helped us. They worked with us. We kind of agree the same things. Why wouldn't you just vote for a liberal? Uh, and, um, you know, and the way to push back on that is, is yeah, obviously to be very clear about the way in which, you know, it was important for us to cooperate and get critical results for Canadians during this, this, uh, time of crisis. But, uh, but to be very clear in our need to push for more radical uh, positions on things like the wealth tax, on foreign policy, on climate change, um, on public ownership, and so on and so forth. So, uh, so I, I see that what the work we did in the leadership is very much a template of what the NDP needs to keep doing because it works. It was energizing. Uh, you know, there were people that wanted to be involved. There were people that wanted to donate. You know, there were people that that uh, you know were were excited about. I was excited. We were all excited about what we were doing. And so, you know, that 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 is the way it, it should be going forward, I would say, especially given the fact that a lot of the challenges we were talking about three years ago uh, are even more serious now. Uh, and, uh, you know, the the the, the rise of of, uh, as I mentioned, racial injustice, the the um, climate emergency, the, the rise of, of inequality that's been, uh, you know, that's just blown up during this pandemic. Right. So. So I, I would say that, um, yeah, we still have a lot of work to do, uh, you know, and I, I know some of the the activists, like I'm, I'm in touch with a, a number of the folks that, that uh, you know, we worked with in the campaign and, uh, and some really want to see the NDP, um, you know, get back that more of that grassroots energy. And, uh, you know, I know a number of people have gotten involved in the green leadership race and, you know, and, and for similar reasons. Right. Um, you know, and I think as, as younger people as well, we see the need for cooperation in a way that, uh, you know, that that others might not see, uh, including with uh, other parties on on uh, on issues of, uh, you know, based on common principles and common values. Right. So so, it, you know, that all of that makes sense to me. But, uh, you know, I, I I remind colleagues and, uh, you know, and those that I work with that, you uh, the way forward, not unlike what's in the U.S., is is to work with grassroots movements to put forward those radical ideas, uh, bold progressive ideas, to be proud of our democratic socialist roots. A number of folks still have issues with that, um, but uh, you know, it, it's uh, it, to me, it's 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 the only way forward if we're going to be serious about uh, you know be, being an alternative to people and serious about taking on the biggest challenges of our time.
Thank you so much. And um, uh, your your run, your leadership run was, as we said, very inspiring for progressives and it inspired me in a deep way. So I'm, I'm still in my 20s, but like at that time, I would say the last party I had been part of was the Liberal Party. And then I left the party because I hated it. Um, but I wasn't like intellectual politics anymore. I became an activist. Then I saw your run and I saw you cite the Regina Manifesto. But also I, w- I was happy to see a woman who is the child of uh, immigrants and not in like a not a fifth generation uh, sixth generation kind of Canadian elite family, um, which is something we commonly see or like a family that comes from privilege and political roles tend to be designed for the constraints are designed for historically who had power and who could who could run and who could do that. And so now we start to see, quote unquote, diversity in like a liberal way lauded around by the Trudeau government. But in a meaningful way, if we wanted women like myself or like women I know and work with um, on the grassroots level to run for electoral politics, I, I wonder how to even do that with uh, the mechanics of the way, the way the job is built, but also what you need to go into a job like that. Many people have law degrees. Um, we see a lot of like very graduated people with certain socioeconomic status, but also how do you raise a family at the same time when it's a job designed for men whose wives raise the family? And um, I know you have two beautiful twins. Uh, you have twins, so you have two beautiful kids. And I'd, I'd love to hear more about that as a feminist and how how that works and what are the constraints and how people don't really reimagine women being in politics. They just like to say women in politics or mothers in politics, but they don't make a situation for women to run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. No, I appreciate, I appreciate the question. Um, I also wanted to go back to, to, um, to your shout out to, uh, to the fact that, that I am the daughter of immigrants, uh, because that was something very important for me to talk about in the leadership. And, and it's, I mean, it, you know, it is, it is like the, the, the beginning and the end of who I am. Right. So my, my, um, my dad immigrated to Canada um, with his parents and uh, from England um, because of high unemployment there. My grandpa lost his job and, and, uh, and he, he was uh, he was anyway scouting out opportunities here in Canada. And, uh, you know, and there's this place called Thompson with like a 800 kilometer mud road going up to it. They couldn't even find it on a map. Just wondering where where they were going, uh, and they ended up here. But my mom is uh, is from Greece. Uh, my uh, my first language is Greek. I'm very tied to to my identity, um, my family there, and uh, you know, and I I totally agree with you. A lot of Canadian politics is sort of you know anglophone or francophone, and uh, you know how many generations back, you know what what did your forefathers do, uh, you know, and and all across the parties, right, uh, you know, and and uh, we've certainly changed the dial. I mean, obviously, Jagmeet is the first. Jameet Singh is the first racialized leader of a political party, uh, you know, and, and I, I believe, you know, in a lot of like the NDP's work, we're, we're very, um, uh, um, you know, certainly at the grassroots level, uh, very involved in, in uh, supporting uh, emerging uh, BIPOC activists and leaders. We need to do a lot more of that, 100%. Uh, but, um, you know, but yeah, it, it's very important for me to talk about that experience and the need to have uh, the voices of, um, you know, of, of, of diversity on many levels and, and to challenge the way the liberals use diversity 100%. I appreciate that you raised that. I mean, you know, it kills me when I see like, second generation people from my community that are just like, well, the liberals, they're, they're diverse and they support immigration. And it's like, well, but they don't. And like, look at their history. 
and look at what they're doing now. Um, and, uh, you know, and also let's be clear that a lot of the social safety net that benefited our parents when they came here, uh, has been, uh, you know, weakened by the liberals, you know, and, and, uh, um, you know, the, the opportunities that, that, our parents were able to create with all of the hardship that they went through, um, you know, the, 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 the foundations, you know, in, in many ways don't exist anymore. Uh, right. And, and, uh, and so, you know, I, I think it's really important for us in the NDP and on the, on the left to be very clear, you know, have that critical lens in terms of the, the immigrant experience, the second generation immigrant experience, uh, and to push back on some of the identity politics that we see from the liberals on the daily, um, you know, that somehow they're the only party that uh, that gets it, um, which is obviously not true. Uh, and um, but they play a good game of it. Right. So a lot of work to be done on that front. To the motherhood question. Also, a lot of work to be done on that front. Yeah. So my kids are almost three uh, and I um, I. I'll, I'll be the first to say that that I, I always acknowledge that, you know, in theory that that motherhood would be a challenge for anybody doing this work. Uh, and then and then it hit me like a brick wall in practice. Parliament, if it's not designed for women, it is definitely not designed for mothers, particularly mothers of younger children where where the needs are are so significant and, and very much significant towards the mom. Um, you know, I, I had my kids actually while I was pregnant throughout the whole almost the whole leadership uh, and uh, not almost the whole leadership. And, uh, you know, I had the kids shortly after uh, and then I said, okay, great. Um, what happens now? And I very clearly found out that there was no leave provisions. I had, I had a C-section, which is a uh, significant, uh, you know, it's surgery. And uh, basically I had to just like, actually any, any mom that has just given birth, uh, I had to tick off a box that said I was sick and put in brackets that I had just had, had, had my kids, right. That I, that I just, uh, given birth. Uh, so there was no provision to say, um, you know, I was on parental leave or I had to take, you know, some time. I, for the first uh, few weeks, I, uh, like my first meeting, my kids were six phone meeting with my kids were six days old. My first public event, they were 11 days old. Uh, you know, I had people say, why aren't you going to go on leave? And I would say, I don't have a leave to go on. And, uh, you know, and for sure the one year parental leave wouldn't work for, for our job for sure. Uh, but there was nothing at the time. And what they've brought in now is again, just checking a box. Uh, so there's really no protective provision for you to be able to take the time, uh, to, uh, recover, you know, to have that bond with, with your baby, uh, you know, to, to, uh, to have the, 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 the mental and, and, and physical ability to do things like breastfeeding. Uh, right. And, and so, so it was very clear to me that, you know, this systemically, I mean, we're, we're just, you know, parliament is, is, is junk for, for, for new moms, uh, and, and similar challenges for new dads, but, but nowhere near in terms of that first window. I would then say besides the sort of the need for some clear leave provisions, the second huge piece, which is also very much a reflection of, of how awful Canada is, is childcare. Um, I was on the waiting list for childcare in Ottawa for two and a half years. I would have had two spots this September. 
Uh, obviously, I'm not in Ottawa because of COVID now, and I'm working from home here in in uh, northern Manitoba. Our region is uh, under a travel ban, and and uh, I'm very careful about uh, not uh, not putting our region at risk by traveling back and forth and potentially bringing COVID here. Um, but uh, but back to the childcare piece, it's insane. Two and a half years to get spots to to be able to send my kids to daycare so that I can do my job, you know, with some freedom and stability during the day. Right. Uh, you know, and, and, um, you know, and I, I, I started talking about this and, and, and men were coming up to me and saying, you know, I have similar issues. Uh, you know, I'd love for my, my family to be here. I'd love to be able to bring my, my son, daughter, kid here. Uh, but I also can't get childcare. And, uh, you know, it really speaks to the devaluation of, of childcare in our country. It speaks to the devaluation of women's work in our country. Uh, it speaks of our devaluation of, of, uh, you know, I mean, we talk a good talk about wanting to see more women in politics, but we're not there in terms of creating the systems to encourage women. Uh, and, uh, that, you know, that will say, I mean, I've had women, since I've had the kids that said, I'm thinking of running, but I've got young kids and I'm straight up with them, uh, you know, in terms of my own experience, right. That, that the supports are not there the way they should be. And, uh, you know, and, and we shouldn't be fighting just for, for daycare, for, for, for MPs, obviously we should be fighting for daycare for everybody. Uh, and, uh, even more so coming out of this crisis. Uh, but, um, you know, but I would say there's some very clear examples of, of the fact that Canada uh, is uh, way behind other countries on uh, on ensuring that there are supports for for people that want to do this work. And look, I mean, the other piece to this is very much generational. If we want a lot of older people, including older women, doing this work, not reflecting our generation's realities, uh, then you know we'll we'll keep going down this path. But if we want to uh, uh, you know encourage people that may one day want to have kids then uh, then we're going to get serious about about addressing some of these barriers uh, so that we can have people that can speak to to the challenges we face as as generations uh you know in a, in an authentic way uh and uh you know and right now we're we're not there we're uh, we're actively i would say sending the message that if you want to do this work you should have older kids or maybe no kids at all or kids that are out of the house and uh uh, and that's uh, and that's that. It's very disappointing. It's very frustrating. Uh, and, uh, you know, and I would say it, it shines a very bright light on just how uh, how much of a failure Canada is when it comes to to these critical issues around equality, around uh, um, around child care as well. And, uh, you know, we've got so much work to get, to do. It's not rocket science, but it requires political will and political will that al that will allocate the resources, um, you know, across the board, across the country. And look, I mean, if we had childcare for women out, you know, across the country, you know, a lot more women would think I could possibly run, right? I, I could spend the time doing the door knocking. I could spend the time, you know, in the evenings doing this, that, and the other. Like, I mean, it's a very logistical question. If you've got nowhere to, you know, to have your kids during the day uh, or during the evening or whatever, then uh, then you're not going to do uh, more than what what you can can do right now. Uh, so it's something that that I'm very passionate about because now my lived experience is, you know, has really brought it home. And uh, and I think honestly, with covid, things have only gotten worse. Right. I mean, we've seen how uh, women have been hit hard by the economic crisis um, you know, uh, a lot of women are having to stay home now because of the, the kids and, uh, and the lack of uh, safe child care options or, or uh, uh, appropriate child care options. And, uh, you know, and, and we're going to see the long term impacts for a long time. Now, the liberals did talk about child care in their throne speech. 
remains to be seen what they'll actually do for that. So um, please stay tuned on the issue. Not with me. I can yeah. talk to you about my <laughs> twins for sure. But but uh, let's keep up the pressure for it. Thank you so much uh, for sharing that with us and and sharing how just like how layered it is and bringing up uh, the impacts of COVID and the gendered impact of COVID, which I think is often erased um, as well. And the question I wanted to ask you about thinking about work and labor and and how labor is just such a it's it's part of the fabric of Canadian left politics. And to give a snapshot to the audience at 1918, it was a brutal year. The First World War came to an end and we had the Spanish flu pandemic and it spread across the globe to British Columbia. And workers had organized in Vancouver for a general strike. And on the tail end of World War One and the 1918 flu pandemic, we had the Winnipeg general strike of 1919, which if you're somebody listening to this show, you should look into more deeply. Uh, we won't spend too much time discussing that. But what did come out of that was not necessarily uh, an immediate kind of success for workers in work conditions, but the strike did help unite the working class in Canada and some of its participants helped establish what we know as the NDP right now. And so knowing this history of the NDP, uh, one big question we have for you in the labor history and workers' movements, I guess, is we, we're witnessing this rising fascism, we're witnessing austerity, and sometimes stuff, things feel so hopeless. But I guess, is, is a labor movement the way that you think we can unify again? And also, um, how, how have people strayed from this history? Because we're in COVID now, and it's it's kind of almost history repeating itself with the Spanish flu to me, like when I'm thinking about movements and labor rights and fighting for labor rights could also win us victories like childcare. It just seeps into every corner or and paying childcare workers better who tend to be women. And I just feel like it's all a cycle, but I'd love to hear about you from you more about that. Yes. I, I would say that we are in a historic moment where 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 we could really make a difference uh or or we couldn't <laughs> and i think we we i agree with you we stand to learn a lot from similar periods of crisis and um and the kind of uh resistance to the status quo you know that 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 emerged at that time um you know we we've certainly seen that through the uh resurgence of um of the black lives matter movement uh and um you know and and uh, after the murder of george floyd uh you know I, we saw especially in the us but also here in canada and around the world um the extent to which people were willing to rise up to war, uh, against uh, police brutality against uh racial injustice and against uh, you know the status quo from 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 politicians and and uh, institutions and uh I think that's by far the the BLM movement, uh, along with the indigenous resistance we often see here in our own country in, in recent years, the most inspiring movements of our time. I think we have a lot to learn from them. Uh, I think we we uh, we need to uh, uh, look at how we can best build solidarity and uh, you know and 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 expand the grassroots movement to challenge the status quo. You know, and I, I, uh, I'm really excited about some very, very inspiring work that grassroots labor activists are doing. 
uh, you know, including here in Canada, uh, you know, we've done a lot of work around uh, precarious workers, um, you know, getting uh, signed up, getting getting involved, organizing. Uh, we've also seen the pushback. Obviously, Fudora is an example, um, you know, but we're also, you know, we're seeing the way in which uh, people that work for for in the Amazon warehouses, for example, in the U.S., but also here in Canada um, have, uh, you know, have, have become active and engaged uh, and, uh, you know, and, and at the forefront of, of, of movements calling on an end to the grotesque, um, wealth that people like Jeff Bezos and others are are accumulating during this time. But I, I do definitely see the need for us to, at all levels, including at the electoral level, uh, to reflect that, that, uh, that hunger for radical change, uh, a lot, a lot more and a lot clearer, um, including on issues like uh, climate. You know, and I, I, um, I mean, you know, we, we, uh, you know, just not too many days ago, right? I mean, a number of us across the country were getting haze from from the forest fires in the U.S. Right? I mean, my kids were asking me, you know, where, uh, what happened to the sun? We live in in central northern Canada, right? I mean, you know, the 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 statements coming out of the U S about the world being on fire. I mean, you know, it's, it's here, right. It's, it's happening. I mean, here in, in Northern Canada, we see climate change on a very regular basis. You know, our, our, uh, our, our world has shifted here. Right. And, and so are we taking that reality seriously and are we reflecting that in the kind of politics we're putting forward, um, you know, electorally uh, and at the national stage. Uh, and I would, I would say that, uh, that we need to do a lot more of that. You know, I'm proud of the solidarity we showed, uh, including in Parliament, uh, with the rise of, of Black Lives Matter after the murder of George Floyd. You know, and I, I think we 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 need to be tracking with social movements in solidarity with social movements a, a lot more um, and uh, and really using this moment uh, as as a moment to 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 shake up the status quo. Um, and, uh, you know, this is this is the time to do it. You know, and, and I know we're going to get to it in a second, but I'm really excited to be involved with Progressive International, which is a network of left wing uh, activists, uh, artists, politicians, others, whoever's interested um, to say that we need to learn from each other and we need to support each other. And we need to do whatever we can to build that solidarity uh, and and transform this world. Like, time is running out. And, uh, you know, and in terms of learning from each other, the right is doing it on the daily in very public, of course, in private ways. Uh, we need to be doing that on the left. And, uh, you know, and I'm excited about uh, about that work and, and, and expanding that that kind of uh, that kind of work here in in uh, in Canada. I think it's critical. Build that solidarity here at the local level within our own country, but also internationally as well. It's it's got to be the way forward. That makes so much sense. And I really appreciate hearing that. Before we get to the international stuff, I want to ask you a bit about your role as transportation critic. Um, I think connecting Canadians through transportation is going to be one of the best ways that we can facilitate movements and and building movements. And I'm personally really interested in a national transit strategy, things like high-speed rail, decarbonizing transportation, so can you speak a little bit about what you're pushing for as transportation critic? And I'm also thinking about your earlier comment about public ownership and what nationalizing the rail system could mean for us. 
So I'm very, uh, very excited to combine my role as transportation critic with my role as public ownership critic uh, to uh, to really propose ways in which, um, as you point out, public ownership um, ought to play a key role in the kinds of a sustainable uh, transportation, green technologies uh, and, and just ownership models. We should be we should be uh, uh, building uh, going forward. And, you know, Canada is a real laggard when it comes to all of these issues. Um, you know, we, we, we don't have high speed rail. Uh, we've, uh, um, we've seen even, you know, more recently during this pandemic, uh, you know, Greyhound, uh, the big multinational has pulled out, uh, uh, almost now entirely from Canada and, uh, uh, you know, and, and leaving so much of our, of our country, uh, stranded in terms of, of bus transportation. Uh, you know, we also have airlines, you know, demanding bailouts. Uh, they've been demanding them since, since day one. Meanwhile, they're sitting on, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of, of, uh, Canadian consumers money that so they refuse to give back to them for flights that they paid for and were never able to take because of COVID, uh, you know, and, and we've got the CEO of Air Canada who cut his salary. I think it was from 13 million to 5 million, uh, so that he as well could be in solidarity with everybody. Uh, I mean, you know, the, the transportation situation in our country is, um, is ridiculous on on I would say most fronts, uh, both in terms of climate and uh, affordability. Uh, so you know I would say that this is definitely the time to heed the call of so many uh, at the grassroots level who are who are calling for LRTs uh, in their communities, who are calling for um, you know our, our uh, via rail uh, to to be involved in in. Uh, um, uh, high speed electric uh, ways, uh, you know, we're calling for, um, you know, I know one of the things that I've been really proud to call for is at an equity stake. If airlines are to get any public money of any kind, uh, that uh, the Canadians should be part uh, owners or, or, you know, should own shares and, 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 uh, uh, we should have a say in, uh, uh, you know, in, in, in what happens. I mean, personally, I think we should be nationalizing Air Canada again. Um, but, uh, you know, if we don't get there, we should be pushing for an equity stake across the board. Uh, you know, and, and, uh, business as usual is, is not going to cut it. I mean, we're, we're talking about, uh, uh, significant polluters. Uh, we're, we're talking about, uh, um, companies that are, are not, um, um, there, where there's been labor issues for sure, the the exploitation of of, uh, of workers. I mean, you know, obviously some are unionized and are are, are able to push back uh, in a much uh, greater way. Uh, you know, so we we need new models going forward, and that requires significant public investment. Uh, but again, we should not be doling out cash for uh, you know uh, private companies and corporations to deliver an essential service, transportation. Uh, we should be ways looking at ways of uh, incorporating public. Public ownership, whether it's through uh, crown corporations or um, you know working with uh, with municipal entities, um, you know it, it's uh, there, we we know these these models can work, um, but uh, but too often we we see we see governments again liberal conservative governments um, just go back to the same kind of you know the same kind of wheel. Uh, but part of that is also. I would say as, as generations, I mean, really the real big push for public ownership was after, during, during and after the second world war. Uh, and, uh, you know, over time we've, we've been, it's been indoctrinated in us that 
that that uh, public ownership is, uh, you know, is not good, uh, and uh, and that, that privatization and that austerity is is uh, you know is the way forward. Uh, and I think in the left we've we've been reduced to a situation where we're constantly fighting that rear guard action. You know, this shouldn't be privatized. That shouldn't be privatized. And 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 we have to do that. But we should also be proposing public ownership. And, uh, you know, not be afraid to do that. Uh, and again, that goes back to being proud of our democratic socialist roots, uh, you know, owning the means of production. Uh, you know, that's what makes us different than other people who are, you know, generally just progressive on different things. Right. You know, we should be proud to say, yes, public ownership ought to be the way forward. And especially, you know, coming out of this pandemic, you know, it's 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 critical that we we do things differently uh, and that we center workers, consumers, uh, the climate in uh, in our, our transportation strategy going forward. Thank you so much. Uh, that was refreshing to hear, especially the, I think something, a trap that many of us falls in, fall into maybe like defense, but not proposing solutions and interventions. And so I appreciate an actual like plans with teeth, which I think leftists should be good for. We should be good at that. We're good at arguing and being critical, um, but sometimes that might get lost. So I appreciate you pointing that out. One thing uh, we keep thinking about workers and we were talking about also uh, a bit about how uh, Canadians um, in this response to COVID-19, we've witnessed an erasure of those who are undocumented and they're forgotten. And I think of the social death that non-status people face and a stripping of rights. And Canadians like to point to the United States as kind of a cudgel of, oh, the kids in cages over there. And it's an easy way to feel good and forget about the atrocities that exist here. And the undocumented migrant community here has faced high rates of COVID and death. And they live in fear, have abhorrent working conditions, living conditions. They're essential workers. They pick our fruits, vegetables. They also take care of us. And I'm, I'm guessing I'm wondering with you and the NDP and, and just activists in general, um, beyond activists pushing through status for all and migrant rights and migrant justice, uh, what are your thoughts on this and something that the NDP should do or should be fighting for? And how can they fight for this more because I've just been seeing like other activists I know doing the multi-city actions uh, pretty regularly throughout the summer and now the fall. Mm -hmm. uh, well, first off, it's so important that you're bringing this up even during this podcast and in, in the work that you're doing, because it, in this, in this pandemic, uh, absolutely um, some of the worst exploitation we've seen or the worst exploitation we've seen of workers has been undocumented. And I would say also attached to that precariously, uh, uh, uh documented. I mean, you know, thinking of, of, uh, new Canadians who don't have citizenship status, but maybe, you know, permanent residents, et cetera, et cetera, working in the meatpacking plants. Uh, and, uh, you know, and some are also temporary foreign workers too. Uh, I mean, you know, Canada's, story and sort of going back to comments of being like, you know, the liberals, sort of the, the party of immigration. Uh, I mean, it is an absolute shame, you know, the, the, the way in which uh, so much of, of our economy uh, is built on uh, the reliance of uh, un undocumented uh, and the most vulnerable workers in our country, uh, right? From exactly picking our food to taking care of our, our, grandparents to raising our children, uh, to, you know, making our coffee, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's so every, you know, every single sector is, uh, is very much, um, tied into, uh, the, the exploited labor of, um, you know, of, of undocumented workers, men, women, uh, most of them racialized, most of them coming from, uh, all of them coming from the global South, but, 
it's also been the story that, except for some very, I would say, shocking instances, um, has not been heard the way it ought to be during this crisis. And, uh, you know, I remember having early conversations with advocates that were saying, you know, we, these are some very specific demands that we're making based on the reality of undocumented workers. It's not being heard. We're trying to get hear back from ministers, from MPs. We're trying to get stuff even just acknowledged and nobody's getting back to us. Right. And, and, uh, you know, I, I was really, uh, inspired to see the actions that did play, take place over the summer, obviously some very much in response to the tragic deaths of migrant workers, you know, but it was a real sense that, 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 you know, this is happening in our communities. You know, there are people that we've, that we've brought here, uh, to do essential work for us. Uh, that that we essentially don't care if they're safe or if they die, uh, you know, and it's uh, it's chilling. Uh, it's uh, it's horrifying and it ought to be a wake up call. Uh, you know, I, I'm proud to have joined uh, colleagues, including Jenny Kwan and others in uh, signing on to the call for uh, status uh, for all, um, you know, for pushing for the some of the immediate demands that were being made in 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 the context of covid um you know but uh but i would say that going forward uh we can't talk about immigration without talking about uh the the ongoing reliance on uh migrant workers uh you know and and we need to get that right i completely agree with you we love talking about the us and how awful they are when it comes to people that come to the us for a better life but we forget about you know the way in which we're exploiting people here in our own country this does hit me as well on a personal level um you know members of my family from greece went as uh, migrant workers to northern europe uh you know and i i know sort of in an intergenerational sense what what that has meant for my family um you know we we uh we keep repeating these same patterns. And, uh, you know, and I would say in a country like Canada, where we where we openly acknowledge the role of immigration and celebrate it, supposedly, uh, you know, this is in stark contrast and, and, and really, um, you know, as this as this goes on, you know, Canada has blood on its hands. Uh, and it's uh, and it's something that we can change right away, um, you know, during this pandemic. And, uh, you know, and in a in a very clear sense, uh, uh, moving forward. And, and obviously that's all connected, right? If we're going to talk about, uh, ending the exploitation of migrant workers, it, it, it means, um, uh, it means also fighting for working people more broadly, right? I mean, I mean, you know, putting a stop to that, that, that push downwards of, of, uh, of wages, for example, you know, and, and, and fighting for a living wage for everybody, fighting for status for everybody, fighting for a living wage for everybody, uh, you know, fighting for, uh, uh, dignified, safe working conditions for everybody, uh, you know, and, and, uh, but, uh, at this point in time, what we need to be very clear about is, is, is exposing, um, you know, Canada's, uh, shameful treatment and, and shameful reliance. It's not just treatment. It's, it's, it's entire economic chains are, are founded on, on, uh, on this exploited labor. So, um, so we have a lot of work to do and, uh, you know, I'm very thankful for the work for the activists who are working tirelessly to even pierce through the narrative here in our own country. I'm thankful to you for raising it because, a lot of people even on the left aren't uh, aren't giving this the time it uh, it needs. Thank you. And the issue of migrant justice really ties into the need for a larger internationalist left movement. Um, and so let's talk a little bit about building that larger left grounded in international solidarity. 
I saw you participated in the first Progressive International Conference and you're a council member of the organization. So can you speak a little bit about what that was like? Tell us a bit about Progressive International and what your vision is for it. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited to talk about it. It's a, I, f- I find a bright light in, uh, in the current situation that we're all in. And I really encourage folks uh, to check out PI online, Progressive International online, to sign up as a member, uh, to see the kinds of campaigns uh, that uh, that are being talked about. Uh, also, this incredible, um, uh, you know, critical viewpoints coming out from around the world, you know, how people are fighting back during this pandemic, uh, how they're fighting back against very similar issues that, that we're facing here in Canada as well, uh, but in some very dynamic ways. It's very inspiring. So just to back it up a bit, I mean, really, it all started when I, I had the uh, opportunity to take part in the Sanders gathering. Uh, this was in uh, December of 2018. And uh, uh, we were asked to be involved because of our leadership campaign, uh, because we made very clear in the Canadian context that um, that that we need to be putting forward bold, progressive ideas. We need to be working with the grassroots. Uh, you know, we need to be uh, challenging the status quo and proposing a world transformed. Uh, they heard obviously about our work. Uh, I was incredibly excited because I'm a huge Bernie fan. And, uh, and lo and behold, uh, you know, they, uh, they asked me to be part of a, a panel with Bernie, um, with Yanis Varoufakis, uh, uh, obviously, um, uh, somebody that I'm, I'm somewhat connected to in terms of my my Greek background as well. Uh, well, I didn't know him before that. I knew of him, obviously. But, uh, you know, also the the really dynamo left-wing mayor of Barcelona and, uh, uh, you know, and others as well that, that, that shared very similar viewpoints. Uh, and out of that, work had already was was already on the go to create Progressive International. So a, an international network. Uh, an international movement of uh, progressives, and I don't mean it in the Justin Trudeau progressive way, but in real progressives, um, you know, uh, uh, working together, connecting with each other, building solidarity, putting forward ideas for a a uh, um, a new world that is, uh, you know, in, that where where justice, social, environmental, economic justice uh, is what we're striving for, and uh, you know, and and not just sort of in the armchair theoretical. Let's just talk about how things. Are, are, are awful and uh, getting worse, uh, but in an active, how can we work together uh, to support the movements that are fighting back? Uh, how can we fight back? Uh, how can we work with each other around the world to fight back at the same time in similar ways and taking on the similar similar issues and the similar uh, people that uh, that are, are, uh, are pushing us down? Uh, and so a couple of weeks ago, I, I was really excited to be part of the first summit, which was meant to be in person, but of course moved online because of COVID. There were some incredible speeches. Uh, some of them are still online from people like Noam Chomsky, Naomi Klein, Yanis Varoufakis, uh, Cornell West, um, and others. And then we had some breakout groups as well. And we hope to be sharing that video in, uh, in, in short order as well. Um, where, where I had a chance to share our reality here in Canada and, and to sort of, you know, hear from others how we could work together, uh, on, uh, you know, on, on, on pushing forward, uh, our, our vision, you know, and what was very clear to me is, is the hunger for international solidarity. You know, a lot of us feel very alone, you know, here in our own countries, uh, or that there's only a few of us that, that believe in these things. Uh, but through PI, I, I came to realize that, uh, um, you know, in a very 
real right now sense that that there's so many people that that are seeing the way in which, for example, this pandemic is is a contributing to climate change or this pandemic is making the rich richer uh, or or this pandemic is is exploiting uh, workers and racialized communities and women in in uh, uh, in in more ways than we saw, say, before. Right. And and so. Uh, you know, there's so many of us talking about these things and 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 trying to find ways to push back and, and against these injustices. Uh, you know, and it's 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 encouraging, it's inspiring, uh, and I think there's a lot of opportunity for for growth. Uh, I know right now a, a campaign to um, uh, come up with a way of doing a one day boycott of Amazon was being talked about, bringing forward legislation that seeks to curb uh, Amazon's incredible power, including here in Canada with the support of the Canadian government to reap giant benefits at the expense of, uh, of workers and our public services. Right. So that's something that's being talked about. I know other campaigns were being, were being discussed a couple of weeks ago when we were doing these meetings. So there's a lot happening. Uh, and uh, you know, and, and I, I really, uh, I believe that it, it should be membership driven in, in, uh, uh, um, right now, obviously in a more informal sense. We need to hear from people. Where, where could we be going with these things? Uh, these ideas, these campaigns, you know, what would it look like in Canada? So I'm, I'm certainly keen to hear from folks, including people that are listening to your podcast. You know, what would you like to see progressive international focus on? What are the kinds of campaigns we should be supporting? or taking on here in our own country. And I know we're looking at doing some work on the Amazon stuff as well in the Canadian context. Um, uh, but ultimately really, you know, it, it, it's a matter of recognizing that, that the right is learning from each other, that the right is bolstering each other uh, around the world. And we've seen that here in our own country, you know, people like Doug Ford and other premiers uh, taking notes from, from Trump and, and the Republicans, uh, you know, and, and, uh, what are we doing on our end? What are we doing to to support each other and and to build up uh, uh, not not just uh, grassroots movements, but but also uh, you know a, a grassroots inspired left agenda uh, that uh, that those of us in electoral politics uh, should be putting forward as well. Uh, so I, I do think that uh, there's a lot of work to be done, but there's an incredible amount of hope uh, and energy out there, and I'm very excited about it. And keen to to be in touch with folks about it uh, going forward. Thank you so much. And um, we will be linking uh, Progressive International in the show notes for anybody interested. We usually do pretty detailed show notes, so we will definitely be linking in there so people who are listening can find it. Um, and uh, you've mentioned that uh, it was very inspiring to see Bernie run. And I know myself and others were inspired by Bernie. Uh, Ryan and I are very inspired by Bernie. And, and there were so many candidates uh, who are now running in smaller local elections that have been inspired. But your your leadership uh, run was an inspiration to people like me, like I said before, um, and others I know. And whenever I've tweeted about how um, I like, like the NDP because you mentioned the Regina Manifesto, and even though it's from 1933, it's so resonant right now. I, I remember you saying that the party needs to return to the bold socialist vision that was offered in this 1933 manifesto. And that stuck with me. I was like, maybe there is space for me in this party when I saw that. And I, and I was like, okay, people are remembering this. So I, I wanted to ask you again, um, how you feel about it today in 2020 uh, during this, this historical moment, but also um, what you meant if you could expand on it when you said during your run, um, that the party needs to return to the bold socialist vision offered in the Regina Manifesto, because I know it resonates with myself and many others. Well, thank you for your 
your your words and uh you know and, and for sharing how how um the campaign inspired you uh, I, I would say I believe in what we ran on, you know, just as much, if not more now, um, given that that the challenges we face are greater, uh, you know, given the fact that that grassroots movements, I, 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 you know, many of them led by young people are are demanding more, uh, you know, and and uh, and I would say it really is to our own political peril as the NDP to ignore that that reality, both the reality of the challenges we face, but also where social movements, where grassroots people, where young activists are at. Um, you know, and I um I do believe, I mean, I believe this on a personal level that that we gain strength from from understanding our roots. And uh and and that certainly applies to understanding how the NDP emerged, right? And and uh that work with with the labor movement, uh, um, you know, but very much rooted in a very clear, uh, critical, uh, anti-capitalist uh, um, perspective, uh, you know, and very much uh, because of the kinds of in- inequality and injustice people were experiencing at that time, uh, right? And and so so I I think we we can learn a lot from that. Um, you know, I was somebody that opposed. Uh, the NDP taking the word socialist out of our constitution. And boy, I think, have we learned that we were on the wrong side of history doing that. Uh, Cause like a couple of years later, Bernie Sanders comes out and he's like, I'm a socialist. And everybody's like me too, <laughs> especially young people. Right. And so, you know, and meanwhile, the NDP was on the wrong side of that. Uh, and, and, um, you know, and, and some people will say, oh, well, that's a symbolism of that. But I, I think it's also a reflection of the way in which the NDP wanted to stray from our roots, uh, wanted to adopt uh, more centrist positions and um, to uh, to be more palatable. Uh, you know, and, and uh, I, I think in the end of the day, uh, the opposite happens. Uh, you know, you might pick up some short term interest, uh, but uh, but you're out of touch with with the people that believe in your party uh, and you're out of touch with the challenges that, that we're facing. I mean, when when you have billionaires wealth explode during a, a public health and economic crisis for millions of people around the world, there's something fundamentally wrong with this situation. Right. Uh, you know, and and uh, and I would say that that it's incumbent um, I mean, I, I, I hesitate to say it's incumbent on us as activists to, to keep the pressure on. It's, it's, uh, I mean, that pressure is constantly on. It's incumbent on, on those of us who, who are sort of, I would say, elected and, uh, you know, and perhaps older, uh, older than millennials, uh, to, to, to tune in and say, you know, where is, where is the future at and and uh, where where are are the 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 young leaders at and uh you know and i think we've had a very clear message from the us is that they are uh on uh you know on the spectrum of bernie sanders and others who's obviously not a millennial um but who are saying that yeah we're we identify with being democratic socialists uh and we identify because that is the way forward for climate justice for racial justice for uh for social justice for gender justice right and so you know it's not rocket science um but i still see people ignore that reality or or people try to minimize uh the voices of young people who are saying we believe this because this is the only way forward um you know and and uh we need to stop doing that and 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 those that are doing that need to stop doing that um 
it's, uh, you know, it, I, I would say, and, and, and this is why I'm also energized by Progressive International. There's a lot of people pushing for bold, progressive ideas around the world that we can learn a lot from that are gaining incredible traction, uh, that are making a difference, uh, and, uh, against some very significant resistance. And, uh, you know, and, and, and we should and could be doing the same thing here in, in our own country. It's happening in already in, in many ways in, at the community level, uh, you know, and in some ways it's piercing through to the provincial or, or national uh, level. Uh, and I would definitely say, for example, the, the, the work of Black Lives Matter, I think, is an example of, of you know, changing the conversation around defunding the police, uh, you know, around uh, um, uh, putting, changing the narrative, um, you know, but, uh, uh, but we need to keep going and, and, uh, and, and there's critical work the NDP should be doing on that front and we should be doing a lot more of it. Thank you so much. And as we as we wind this down, we just have a few more wrap up questions for you. But you're such a great interviewee because you lead us to the next question each time you mentioned um, it was you led us to the next question, um, like the young leaders and the way forward and um, thinking about Bernie Sanders and taking out the word socialist from the NDP uh, constitution was perhaps a bad idea in retrospect, because we're seeing the rise of young leaders. And one person who is a young leader who just got elected from social movement was Cori Bush, who was instrumental member of BLM. Um, after the murder of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri. And so the, the NDP has what is arguably a mixed history with supporting young activists and organizers who want to run in the party. And so I guess I wonder, um, what do you think the potential is now that I guess uh, the gears are kind of shifting in our favor as activists to run, but there has been a history where certain people who've perhaps had social media posts about Palestine can no longer run. And so that sets a bad taste in the mouths of other activists across the country who have progressive posts on social media about Palestine, about Black Lives Matter, about defunding police? Um, and is there room in Canada to have activists run that are so influential who do have those social media histories because of their activists? Mm. So as somebody who ran in a uh, grassroots uh, contested nomination back in 2005, as we started off this interview, uh, I know firsthand how important it is for there to be open nominations. I will say there were people from the establishment that openly supported the NDP incumbent, even though she was against party policy, uh, which was shocking. Uh, but I did run in a nomination. Uh, also, some rules were changed uh, halfway through. Uh, but I did run in a nomination where. Um, I had, I was, uh, given the green light to run and, uh, and ultimately perhaps was less, uh, influenced, I guess, than, uh, than, than, than I think what we've seen in, in, in recent years. Uh, I find, uh, the banning of, um, candidates who've come out in solidarity for Palestinian rights and against the, the oppression of the Palestinian people to be at the, the banning of these of these candidates to be deplorable. I spoke out against it in the uh, in the leadership back in 2017. I've spoken out against uh, similar issues in the past and not just, you know, on Palestine, but but people that are are, uh, you know, offer criticism uh, to, uh, you know, to the NDP and uh, and I would say, you know, constructive criticism, especially that we should be listening to, uh, you know, and, and I, I really think it's again to our own peril to uh, to shut out people that share so uh, obviously our, our, our principles and our, our values. And, uh, you know, and I, I I do. There are clear examples of how the party uh, apparatuses uh, establishments desire to um, influence or 
or fixed nominations has backfired, uh, you know, and, and I think we need to learn from that uh, and, uh, uh, and really return to that sense of an open democratic party that at the, at the grassroots level, if you sign up to be a member of the NDP, you can get involved in a nomination, uh, you know, to support somebody who supports the views that you have. And, uh, you know, and that's that. Uh, right. And I, I also think it's political suicide to try and influence, fix, rig, whatever uh, nominations in one way or another uh, when it comes to young people. I mean, our generation and younger generations are more di- uh, disillusioned about party politics than than any other generation. Uh, so to go ahead and say your voice doesn't matter, we're going to basically make it so that you know, we pick who, who, who wins in your area is, uh, it only makes it worse and reinforces that point that, that, that young people, that community, that the grassroots is, uh, you know, is, is not who's, who's at the forefront of deciding who speaks for them. So I would say that, uh, um, uh, you know, we can't just talk about the need for bold, progressive ideas. We need to be talking about, uh, making sure our party, um, uh, our party structures and and very importantly at that nomination level at the community level are open and democratic and uh and that ultimately we show it every way that we respect our grassroots activists that we listen to our grassroots activists that we work with our grassroots activists instead of the opposite and uh and I will say I definitely don't think that uh, we're there the way we should be uh and I don't think we've learned from the mistakes that we've made in the past uh the intentional uh <laughs> um mistakes I would say uh, in the in the past and uh, and that's an area that uh um that that you know, we, the NDP needs to do uh, much, much better. Part of that is obviously, uh, you know, hearing those voices that are calling on the NDP to, uh, uh, to ensure that nominations are open, are democratic, and that people aren't being disqualified because again, they, they support uh, core party policies. And, uh, you know, and that we're also very clear that, that, um, you know, I remember back when I was running, right. in, in my early twenties, it was like, well, be careful what's on Facebook. Um, I mean, you know, again, it's that sort of like our, our our lives are on social media. And for so many activists, our lives are to be critical and, uh, you know, unabashedly left and radical. Uh, and so, you know, uh, to me, finding those statements is actually a sign of legitimacy that you actually do believe in the thing, kinds of things that we should be believing in rather than than the opposite. Um, so, you know, if we want to push young people out, uh, I, I would say we, we keep going down a similar path that we've gone down the last uh, number of years. Um, but uh, if we really want to be uh, real, responsive, respectful uh, and grassroots, that, that we would we we would ensure that especially our, our nomination processes are open and, uh, and respectful. Great. Um, and focusing on a particular movement um, that we've seen as a result of injustice is Black Lives Matter. And Black Lives Matter and other community organizations have called for demilitarizing and ultimately abolishing the police and allocating that money to community services. And this is actually an ask that's widely supported by the general public. So do you think people can look to electoral politics and specifically the NDP as a progressive voice to support these demands? And I ask this because we we haven't seen the NDP widely call for defunding the police or supporting this aside from individual MPs like Matthew Green, for example. Yeah, I um 
yeah, I think we definitely have more work to do on this front. I mean, I, I was very proud to come out in in support of solidarity in in solidarity with the call for defunding the police. I think uh, the kinds of things that we've seen in places like Minneapolis, where they've gotten rid of the police and they're creating a you know a, a uh, hopefully um, a new model uh, for uh, for for community support and safety is something that we should be looking at. Uh, you know, I, I live in the part of the country where the RCMP, a, a, a police force rooted in the genocide of Indigenous peoples, is the only police force, at least in our, our rural and northern areas, obviously not our cities. Uh, but, uh, you know, and, and uh, I, I absolutely think that we need to... Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, to replace them with a model that 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 works, uh, and and in terms of keeping, uh, you know, creating the support, uh, and and safety that that our, our communities uh, require, um, and that that is absolutely in the federal frame. This is in the case of the RCMP, a, polit- a federal police force. Uh, so I, I think uh, you know, I, I I think there's a lot more work that we that 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 we need to do. Um, you know, I am proud of some of the things that uh, that we we have put forward, uh, but it's clear to me that this is a a a um, you know, there's a an awakening of the general public, like you said, that we haven't seen before. I mean, including in the mainstream media. I mean, some of the coverage initially was, was, uh, was, was awful. Uh, but because of public pressure, even, you know, uh, I think, you know, editorial editors, et cetera, realize that, uh, that they, they, they need to be, um, giving BLM and, uh, and the narrative that they were pushing for much greater attention and respect. Uh, you know, and, and so I, I'm hopeful that, um, uh, that that we will, you know, see the need to to continue to be bold on this front. I think it obviously ties in with the rise opposing the rise of white supremacy, um, fascism in our own country, and uh, you know, and we know the way in which police uh, often are are tied in with that, and and the the cultures of of uh, police forces are are tied in with that as well. And so, you know, this is the time to again be re envisioning uh, our 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 structures uh, in in, in different ways. And, and we should be taking, taking note from, from BLM, uh, and, uh, uh, I would say many indigenous activists here in our own country who are, who are demanding uh, systemic change. So, so this week, Leslin Lewis said Canada is having a socialist coup and we witnessed the Nazi monuments debated about whether it was okay to question them existing. And then some police forces, like you said, they're tied up in fascism and white supremacy and and some considered it a hate crime, even though they're Nazi monuments. We witness, we have Christia Freeland who says she's proud of her notably Nazi grandfather and she has political power and political office. And so with this type of political landscape, it seems like counter narratives from the left are, it's very difficult for them to emerge and kind of question um, this hyper-normalization of fascism and white supremacy. And so I wonder, um, how do you feel about the term socialism in the political discourse, but also the choice to use socialism in this kind of Canadian landscape that's arguably very anti-socialist and anti-communist? So I, I would say uh, for me, it's been very important to openly uh, identify as a democratic socialist to push back on those that uh, continue to vilify uh, the S word. Uh, and, uh, um, you know, obviously the same people that that also vilify communism and uh, uh, and and, uh, you know, the the adherence, uh, I guess, uh, to to left uh, uh, critical thought in in general, uh, but but for me it's been very important to say. 
say, you know, I'm a proud democratic socialist uh, to, to talk about our roots in the NDP in, in, uh, in, in socialism and democratic uh, uh, socialist uh, ideals, uh, you know, and, and to push back against that narrative. And uh, I am very worried about uh, the direction that, that Canada is going into. I, I talked a bit about uh, the rise of uh, extremism, uh, fascism here in my part of the country. Uh, the rise of white supremacy, uh, the way in which it's it's uh, aided and abetted by structures like the military. Uh, you know, you obviously pointed out the police, uh, but I'm but I'm also shocked uh, by the way in which the mainstream media, um, you know, uh, also uh, you know applies its 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 bias right again in its portrayal of a of a white uh, uh, shooter as opposed to uh, you know uh, it, what if it were like I said a, a black person or an indigenous person. Person, right. I mean, in the case of that that monument, I mean, I, it was just shocking uh, to, uh, uh, you know, to see see the whole discussion around it. Uh, I appreciate that you raised, uh, you know, the the fact that our, our, our deputy prime minister, uh, you know, openly uh, talks about being proud of her her family's roots and and uh, uh, you know the fact that that her her grandfather was was a Nazi uh, you know was actively engaged in in genocide uh, you know and and um, and our media and and the sort of the political class just wash over that uh, you know it, it's all connected our 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 failure to or our, our guess our, our legitimacy of um, of of people of, of of messages like the ones we've heard from Christian Freeland, our 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 application of 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 hate, uh, you know, on on the on uh, um, you know when when a, a Nazi uh, st- a statue is vandalized, um, you know, is 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 all tied into our our uh, um, minimizing of the right uh, rise of, of white supremacy right now and the rise of, of fascism right now, uh, and uh, and and of course the vilification of 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 socialism and 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 people on the left who are critical. Um, you know, and I, I would say as, as, uh, as our world becomes more unequal, we have a lot to learn from previous periods, including the rise of fascism in Europe, uh, you know, and, and the need to be very clear in calling it out early, uh, every time it happens using the F word fascism, uh, you know, not being afraid to call out people like Christian Freeland, uh, and, uh, you know, and, and not, um, minimizing any of it, uh, you know, and, and, uh, and along with that is bolstering the movements, uh, that are taking it on, uh, that are, are taking on the status quo, uh, because let's not forget, it's very much the same people, uh, that are also, uh, keen to turn a blind eye away from the way in which our right-wing politicians, uh, are not actually, uh, defending the working class or, or, you know, ensuring that people have the supports that they need, but are keen to use xenophobia and scapegoating, uh, and racism, uh, and, uh, misogyny to, to divide people and, and, uh, and, and turn their attention that way, uh, you know. So, so let's uh, let's call it out. Uh, let's denounce it, uh, and let's do the work at the grassroots level and beyond across our country uh, to to put forward a that bold grassroots left wing uh, movement and an agenda that does speak to people uh, and uh, that that uh, you know that that serves to challenge the structures that uh, you know that 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 feed off of white supremacy and uh, and and fascism nikki thank you so so much for 
all of that. Thank you for joining us today. Your candor is so refreshing. We learned so much from what you had to say and got quite a bit of hope from the solutions you offered as well. Um, so I am sure the listeners were really happy to hear all of that. Can you tell them where they can keep up with you on social media? Yes, for sure. Well, I um, you can tune in on almost all platforms, uh, and we're very active. Uh, very active on Facebook. It's a huge way of of uh, keeping connected here in our part of the country. Also, very active on Twitter. Uh, I'm on Instagram. Uh, it's not always as big P political. There are some pictures of my twins, actually lots of pictures of my twins there, but, um, you know, people can connect uh, throughout all those ways. Again, big plug for Progressive International. I mean, I know your, your listeners you're, are in that frame. This is a way to expand that frame, uh, you know, and, and it's only going to get bigger, uh, and uh, very hopeful about that. So I encourage folks to, to connect and, and connect with us. You know, if there's something that, uh, that you think we should be looking into, I should be looking into our team should be looking into please let us know there's some concerns that that uh, that that you think I should know about uh, uh, please let me know and and let us know about the great things that you're doing uh, you know I want to thank you for inspiring me uh, on uh, on this Saturday uh, you know your the work you're doing through this podcast uh, is uh, is critical to informing uh, you know building that that awareness uh, and um, uh, and I would say building that solidarity, uh, you know, across uh, across the country and, and, and the continent as well, uh, you know, that uh, that that there are like minded people, uh, especially young people who've had enough, uh, who are doing the work of challenging the status quo. How can we connect with each other uh, in a bigger way uh, and keep uh, uh, and, and just not let up and and and, uh, you know, and, and keep going, build bigger uh, and, uh, you know, and, and get get our parties, uh, get uh, elected officials on board and, uh, uh, you know, and supporting us, supporting the kinds of things that uh, that you're talking about and that you're asking about. So thank you uh, for the work, uh, the dynamic and inspiring work that you're doing. Thank you so much. And thank you for uh, giving us so much time on a Saturday, but also for what you inspired me. I wouldn't be here. I think you're part of my story, too. So it's like full circle now. Um, you're definitely part of my story. Um, I, I wasn't like, a, I was kind of disengaged from electoral politics until your run in 2017. So thank you. This is full circle. I'm really looking forward to putting this one out. Oh, thank you very much, Nashua. That's a, it's a real highlight. And uh, let's, let's stay connected and, and even in person very soon. Take care, guys. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to that special episode of Hibifty Please with Nikki Ashton. We are committing a bit to covering prairie politics, and I'm so honored to even have some music from the prairies. So if you're about to hear a song from friend of the show, Conrad Sweatman, um, look in the show notes for information on Blue Bloods, which is led and produced by Conrad. And this song is super timely. It's called Postcard from a Quarantine Minor in Flin Flon. Um, there's going to be a music video coming out in February I check out, but Conrad's music is great in general. But we talk about the Winnipeg General Strike in this episode, and this song is 100 years after the Winnipeg General Strike and the Spanish flu pandemic. And it draws parallels between today's uh, crisis and those of Manitoba's past and exploring the province's storied history as a site of labor unrest um, and how isolated rural communities like the one Nikki is part of have dealt with previous pandemics and epidemics. And interestingly enough, um, it's it's just like the closure of mines that has been happening there, unemployment in the city. It's just all very interesting uh, prairie politics that gets neglected when we're so Ontario-centric or Quebec-centric or British Columbia-centric. So hope you all enjoy the song.
big fan. And uh, on to the next episode.
Hey, these episodes take a small team. Solo episodes are hosted by me, Ashwalina Khan. American political episodes are co-hosted by Dawson Kimian. Canadian political episodes are co-hosted by Ryan Deshpande. Music and art for Habibti Please is done by Post America and Johnny Zapras. Editing is done by Johnny Zapras. Production assistance by Raymond Hanano and Dawson Kimian and sometimes some other Habibis on our team. Consider giving to us on Patreon to help fuel our team with chai and other fun things at Patreon forward slash Habibti Please. And you can find us on Twitter at Habibti Please with a B. This takes a bit of money and your support helps us carry on the show and continue producing some unique content. So it's much appreciated. Yalla, let's grab some tea and shisha. Shisha.